Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to The Bossed Up Podcast, episode 286. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today I am so delighted to share a great conversation with you I had with Kwame Christian, who is a truly incredible leadership expert, conflict resolution expert, and negotiation nerd like myself. He has some seriously great things to share with us today that I think apply especially to leaders on the rise who are navigating negotiation and conflict, interpersonal negotiation and conflict with folks at work, which is just a big part of the job. And honestly, learning to manage conflict as a woman leader, as a person of color in a world that magnifies or dramatizes the nature of conflict for women and people of color in particular can be a real challenge. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Let me tell you a little bit about Kwame first. He's a best-selling author, attorney, and speaker. He's also the director of the American Negotiation Institute and a respected voice in the field of negotiation and conflict resolution. He's also the host of the world's most popular negotiation podcast, Negotiate Anything. Kwame is dedicated to empowering professionals through the art and science of negotiation and persuasion. And his fantastic TEDx Dayton talk, Finding Confidence in Conflict, was the most popular TED talk on the topic of conflict in 2017. It's been viewed over 150,000 times. His book, Finding Confidence in Conflict, How to Negotiate Anything and Live Your Best Life, is an Amazon bestseller. He's got a laundry list of achievements and accolades to his name, and I'm really delighted to share some of his brilliance with you now. So enjoy this conversation between myself and Kwame Christian. Kwame, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I am just so delighted to be connected with you, and I think what you're doing with negotiation and embracing conflict in the workplace and helping others embrace conflict as maybe a productive part of work is really inspiring. How did you get into this work? Thank you. Well, it started because I wasn't good at this. <laughs> That's where it came yeah. from. And so um, my my undergrad degree is in psych, and I wanted to be a therapist for the longest time. Mm. And so for me, I wanted to help people overcome their challenges. And one of the biggest challenges that I had was people pleasing. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of this was my own journey, uh, working on myself to overcome this. Like I said, I wanted to be a therapist, but I was swept up in politics. Mm -hmm. I found that really interesting because I said, well, if I'm a therapist, I can help one person. But if I am a, a politician, then I can help a lot of people through legislation. I completely changed direction. So it was a psychology undergrad minor in Spanish and minor in foundations of law. And then mm -hmm. I transitioned to getting my law degree and then a master of public policy at the same time. 
And nice. as I learned more about politics, I realized I don't want that in my life. And so <laughs> for me, with what I'm doing with negotiation, it's really empowerment. That's really mm-hmm. what it is for me, because our motto here at the American Negotiation Institute is that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. And mm. so for me, I want to make those difficult conversations easier so people can start living the best versions of their life. I love that. I think that's very clear. And I have to say, as someone who myself was in politics early on in my career and studied psychology's cousin, cognitive science, as an undergrad, Mm -hmm. I have always seen a direct connection between the way we make individual decisions in our own mind and how the body politic makes collective decisions through public policy. So I always say there's a connection between the choice and the power and the agency we have over our own lives and the collective power that people do or or don't sometimes have through how we govern ourselves in a democracy. Absolutely. So you and I could get real geeky here, just warning our listeners, (laughs) but I like it. How long ago did you start the Negotiation Institute? It is four years old now. It's four years old. Yeah. So it's been a really fun journey building that and building the audience through the podcast. And so now Mm. the Negotiate Anything podcast is the top ranked negotiation podcast in the world. Over 2 million downloads, listeners in 180 different countries. And then we have the TED Talk, Finding Confidence in Conflict. And then the book, which was an Amazon bestseller with the same title, Finding Confidence in Conflict. And it's just been fun getting out in in different avenues and and sharing the message as far and wide as we can. Mm. It's excellent. And so I think when you say people pleaser, that you were, you're a recovering people pleaser, a lot of my listeners can relate. I started off as a people pleaser, I think as a byproduct of academic life, which teaches you to read the syllabus, figure out what's wanted from you, and then go home and deliver it. You know, that independent meritocracy that's more or less alive and well in, in education, although some could debate that you know, Mm -hmm. teaches us to please others in order to achieve success. And then in life after graduation, things look radically different. For me, that resulted in hitting burnout before the age of 25, trying to please, perfect, perform for everyone except myself. How did people pleasing manifest in your life? and, And when did you realize it wasn't serving you ultimately? I think it's important too to to set the stage here. I'm a first generation Caribbean American. And so mm-hmm. my dad's from Dominica, my mom's from Guyana. And so I had a really strong accent and I grew up in a small town called Tiffin, Ohio. And your listeners are probably saying, where's Tiffin? And that is the point. <laughs> Not surprisingly, it wasn't very diverse when I was going through there. And so the joke I would always say is that there were four black people in Tiffin, uh, me, my mom, my dad, my brother. And, oh. <laughs> and I had a really strong Caribbean accent, but it was through college. People were asking me, oh, where are you from? And so um, when I was in first grade, I remember it very clearly. I was on the playground and nobody would play with me. I would Mm. go to different kids. I would say, hey, can I play with you? Nope. And the whole recess went that way. And then I came back to the classroom and I was just bawling. And the teacher was saying, Kwame, what's wrong? And I said, nobody would play with me. And so I made a decision that day that it would never happen again. No matter what happens, I'm going to be very popular. I'm going to have a lot of friends and I'll never feel this way again. So Mm. it worked in that regard. I became popular. People really liked me and all that stuff. But whenever conflict arose, I would always shy away from it. I would always Mm. just let it go, let it slide. No matter how I felt, no matter how much the situation hurt, I would just go with the flow because I said I worked too hard to get these friendships. I recognize that 
when I considered the impact that I wanted to have on the world, that people pleasing mentality was going to hold me back. Right. Once I'd, I'd really be apparent to me, then I said, all right, I'm going to have to figure this out. And so I was able to find confidence in conflict, like the, the TED talk in the book says. And so a big part of my journey is trying to help people do the same thing with their life. I think it's such an interesting story because getting people to like us is important, right? Like we have to acknowledge that popularity, whether it's in school or in the office, matters a little bit. Perception, at least, matters mm -hmm. quite a bit, not just performance. And yet, I think you mentioned in your excellent TED Talk, which I will definitely link to in the show notes, respect and being liked are two different things. And the women listening to this podcast who are aspiring leaders or current managers of people projects or companies know that there is a difference between being well-liked all the time and being respected. And it's a difficult transition, I think, as a leader to get comfortable with not being liked all the time or just to get comfortable in conflict. So what's on the other side of getting confident with conflict? Is it respect? And is that valuable? Is it worth it? It is definitely worth it. And let's actually break down the respect thing, too, mm -hmm. because it's not just the respect of other people, but the, also the respect of yourself. Yeah. When, when you can go to bed at night and respect the decision that you made, I think that's one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself. One of the things that helped, and it's a bit of a morbid type of way of thinking of things, but it's a deathbed mentality. So I ask myself, yeah. when it's all said and done, and I look back on this very moment, is this something that I wish I would have leaned into or would have been, mm -hmm. would I be proud of the fact that I, I shied away from this conversation? Mm -hmm. And when you have that type of perspective, it, it widens your perspective. We're not narrowly focused on this specific incident. We're thinking about how it impacts us over the course of our lifetime. And yeah. whenever I do that analysis, usually it comes back and it says, you know what? Uh, this is one that you need to lean into. Even if you <laughs> yeah. don't otherwise get what you want, just the fact that you went through that process, you respect yourself more and you let the other person know what you're about, what you care about, yeah. what's important to you, what you hope to accomplish, those type of things. And the fact that you're not the type of person where people can take advantage of you. I tell people all the time that the importance of confidence in this is incredibly important because it allows you to take action and people mm -hmm. can sense that your confidence alone is yeah. persuasive and it changes the way that people interact with you. So it's usually always going to be worth it. Sometimes these conversations just don't matter, but I think that's the minority of, of situations. What I always say is uh, hope-based strategies for conflict resolution are, are not effective. We can't just hope that everything goes well. By thinking about how we can actually lean in and do something, it's incredibly empowering, recognizing yeah. that we actually have control over the outcomes in our life. Yeah, and over when, how we choose to speak up, right? Exactly. I always say sometimes we have to disappoint others in order to make ourselves proud. And that is hard. <laughs> That's hard for a people pleaser. But on the other side of it, there's so much power in making yourself proud. And I think you derive a sense of confidence in your ability to draw boundaries or speak up for yourself or whatever it might be in the future. A lot of our programs here at Bossed Up are for women who want to speak up more assertively, who want to lead with authority. And it's just a different skill set than being the Girl Scout, right? The being the, yep, I'll get it done. I'll make it happen no matter what. I'll say yes to everything and I'll 
I'll sort of perfect, perform, and please my way to success. It's just a different approach. You talk about approaching conflict with, as you say in your TED Talk, compassionate curiosity. Talk to me about what that means. Yeah, so this is a a simple approach to conflict resolution that uh, I created for the TED Talk and then went deeper in in my book that allows you to resolve conflicts both at work and at home. And so the steps of compassionate curiosity are first, acknowledge and validate emotions. Second, get curious with compassion. And then lastly, engage in joint problem solving. And I was really intentional about this framework because I wanted to make it simple enough for people to remember it in the heat of the moment. Simple three steps. That's really it. Even if you just remember the name, compassionate curiosity changes the way that you interact with people. You're going to ask questions with a compassionate tone, but also it's designed to also be flipped internally for your internal negotiations too. Right. So it's a, right. a trick for self-awareness. So you're saying to yourself as a, as a tool of introspection and a tool of emotion management, how am I feeling about this situation? What Let's actually give a word to that emotion. What am I feeling? Mm-hmm. Okay, why am I feeling this? What led me to this conclusion? Do I know this to be true? How do I know it to be true? And so uh, we're challenging our assumptions. And then joint problem solving internally is when we're trying to reconcile the differences between our hearts and our mind. What would mm. satisfy me emotionally in the long term? And what satisfies my needs substantively? And if we mm-hmm. go through this before the conversation, now we have a heightened level of clarity so we can articulate that and communicate very clearly during the negotiation. Right. Absolutely. You're reminding me so much of Mark Brackett at Yale, who we had on the podcast recently about emotional intelligence. His book is called Permission to Feel. And that emotion management strategy is such an important prerequisite to coming to the table to negotiate or to manage conflict and disagreement in general, which is just so key. I had someone in one of our workshops once say, get curious, not furious. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I like dang, that. that's a good reminder of compassionate curiosity uh, and that approach. So how do we deal with this? If I want to address it from two perspectives. One is the bossed up podcast listener who calls in and says, I have a nightmare boss who flies off the handle. How do I deal with that? And then the other perspective is I am a boss and my employee is falling apart <laughs> and like I am enraged or I am frustrated. I am. So how do you manage disagreement and conflict when you're managing up or managing direct reports? Yeah. And the the beautiful thing about this framework uh, that I think surprises people a lot of times in, in the workshops that I do in, in negotiation and conflict resolution is the simplicity of it. It's just the simplicity of it. It's the exact same thing depending on the situation. You just change your approach slightly depending on the person. And so let's Mm. give an example. With acknowledging and validating emotions, step one, what we're doing is we're saying it sounds like or it seems like to label Mm. the emotions that the person is feeling. And the reason we do that is because it helps with their own emotional regulation. Because when you're very emotional, you're using the amygdala. That's where the emotions come from. But when you label the emotion, it requires them to determine whether or not they accept or reject that label. And that part of the brain is in the frontal lobe. So it causes them to slow down in the processing of the conversation. And so you acknowledge and validate emotions until they calm down. And with validation, what we're saying is it makes sense. I understand why you feel that way. That's it. And we can empathize without agreeing. I think that's Mm -hmm. an important distinction. That's really key. So let me let's just break that down in an example, because I think we all have 
I don't know, if a partner, spouse, girlfriend, mother-in-law, whatever, (laughs) (laughs) with whom you disagree and someone's offended or enraged that you have chosen to wear a mask at Thanksgiving, I don't know, hypothetically just Mm -hmm. say, and you disagree with their reaction, what would you say to empathize with their negative reaction? Well, let's do this. If you're if you're interested, if you're interested, one of the things that people like uh, on my podcast mm-hmm. is that we do unscripted negotiations. We call them practice sessions. And so I try to be unreasonable. And then the person that I'm talking to has to use the negotiation skills that they taught in the previous episode against me. And then we do a oh. breakdown after the fact. So if you're interested, you could be the difficult person. Sure. And I could use the sure. framework. Okay, let's do it. So I'll say, I think it's preposterous that you're making me wear a mask to Thanksgiving. Are you crazy? Well, it sounds to me that you're you're frustrated about this mask situation. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it's so ridiculous. I can't believe you're making me do this. Okay. So it sounds like you feel as though you're being forced to do something that you don't want to do, right? Right. I have rights here, don't you know? Absolutely. It, no, it, it definitely makes sense that that you uh, that you feel this way because I know I'm an adult. I don't like when people force me to do what I don't want to do too. So I, I can understand where you're coming from there. The problem is I I have some concerns health wise, and and we don't mm. need to agree. Just want to let let you know that we don't really need to agree. But for my house, I would just prefer everybody to wear a mask. So if if you don't want to, again, you you can choose not to come. But that's that's where we stand right now. So the question I have mm. for you is, how do you want to handle this? Is this something you want some more time to think about? Or we? I'm still here to listen to you if you're interested. I guess it's your house, your rules is what you're saying. Yeah. And, and also, again, <laughs> you, I'm you sorry, I'm story. breaking the wall, but I'm loving it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things, too, you notice what I said here is like I didn't yeah. I never uh, uh, disagreed with what you said. You gave me plenty of things that I wanted to hit at. Right. There are a lot of detours that we can take that take us off the path mm. and I just stay focused. So I'm just going to reflect back that emotion and tell mm-hmm. them, yeah, it makes sense that you feel this way. Another thing, too, that people hate is when it seems like you're taking away their agency their autonomy. They feel like it's disrespectful. And so I always want to make people know that they have a choice. And so Mm. I say, listen, you can, you can do what you want to do. I'm not forcing you to do anything. And I also have autonomy too. And I can have what I want in my house too. So it's your call. Don't feel forced. I love that. And and you're here to have the conversation, right? So it's sort of like, co-creating a solution without compromising your boundaries while still giving them power to set their boundaries is what I'm hearing. Exactly. And that's, and I like the word that you use co-creation because that's what joint problem solving is. And so I'm giving you space to share how you feel. And I'm also going to share how I feel. And then we work together to figure out what makes the most sense. I always struggle with helping people set their boundaries at times, right? Because I'm very assertive. I'm on the assertiveness bandwagon. I'm trying to get more people to be unapologetically assertive and clear and forthright with what their boundaries are. And sometimes I think, especially when there are power dynamics at play, it feels scary for people to stand up and say, these are my boundaries. But I always say whenever my team and I are are wrestling with a situation like that, I say, listen, we can't set boundaries for you. We can't set boundaries for someone else. Like, here's what I need. What do you need? There's a challenge there when 
that sort of manifests, I think, sometimes as passive aggression. And I wonder just how your approach to conflict resolution accounts for passive aggression in general. Yeah. And are you saying with people who struggle with passive aggressive behavior themselves or dealing with it? Yeah. So if you have been passive aggressive in the past, Mm. I think what we have to recognize is that you have to think about yourself as your own lawyer because Mm. we have to break down what passive aggressive behavior really is because passive aggressive behavior is stating your needs under a shroud of plausible deniability. So instead of being direct and saying what it is that you want, you're going to say, well, I mean, I guess if you want to go ahead and do that, I guess you can do that. And just hope from the tone that the person says, oh, Kwame is upset about this. I should read that and adjust my way. But a lot of mm-hmm. times people say, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and then they do, <laughs> right. do their own thing. Sounds like you're fine with it, right? <laughs> exactly. And then we get the, the person who's passive aggressive gets really frustrating. And then they yeah. take their le- level of passive aggression to another level until it becomes unavoidable. And the person can't deny the fact that something's wrong, but they don't exactly know what that is. And when yeah. you flip it to the other side, the thing that makes dealing with somebody who's passive aggressive so difficult is because the, the person is almost trying to communicate something to you, but they're Mm -hmm. not being clear on what it is. They're doing it by their actions. They're doing it by their words, but they're not direct. And so if you're working with somebody who is passive aggressive, the way that you do it is you want to be able to be very direct on their behalf. And Mm. so again, very simple. Just stick to the framework. Right. Acknowledge and validate emotions. Well, hold on one second. It, It sounds like you're not really on board with that. Is that right? Right. No, right. no, everything's okay. Okay, because before you you mentioned this and then when you said you were going to do something, you didn't do it. And so it it seems like you're not really 100% committed. And if that's the case, it's completely okay. We can talk about it and I'm I'm open to hearing what you want to say. And so you see again, I'm letting them yeah. know that they have permission to disagree. Because right. in, oh my a, gosh, in yes. a negotiation, I want a very clear yes. I want a very clear no. What I don't want is a maybe. I don't Mm -hmm. want ambiguity. I can't do anything about that. So if you're in a situation where you're dealing with somebody who is passive aggressive, first thing Mm -hmm. you need to do is bring what is unspoken beneath the surface above the surface and have them talk about it so you can address it directly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what would you say to the person who is very introverted or is managing people who's very introverted and doesn't like to bring the stuff to the surface, at least not right away, right? A lot of the women in my Speak Up program wish that they had the perfect comeback line right when they needed it. But like so many of us, it takes them a little while to figure out exactly what they wanted to say or how exactly to articulate how they're feeling. So what is the best way to set up a productive negotiation or conflict resolution conversation with someone whether it's yourself or the other person who needs a little bit of time to prepare. Yes. I love talking about personality psychology. because, uh, And so when it comes to personality and, and introversion, one of the things that we have to recognize where um, the a major difference between introverts and extroverts, two things I want to focus on, extroverts are more naturally assertive. Introverts are more naturally passive. The other thing mm-hmm. is extroverts process verbally. They think through while processing while talking, even Mm -hmm. though you might be there, it's not really that they're talking to you. They're more talking through you in order to think. Um, (laughs) Oh man, I feel called out right now. (laughs) Yes. Yep. (laughs) And then introverts on the other side, they 
they uh, think more on a on a deeper level. They process very slowly and deeply. And so uh, my chief operating officer here, Catherine Kanapke, she actually, she has a podcast called Ask with Confidence, all about women and negotiations, understanding those gender dynamics. She's a, an introvert. And so mm-hmm. what I do when, when I'm talking to her is I count to 10. When I say something, I count to 10 uh, because I know she's thinking and she processes on a deeper level. So if you identify as an introvert and conflict can be difficult for you, uh, what I suggest doing is what I call uh, using micro negotiations. You don't need to get everything you want in one conversation. Use the first conversation to set it up. Use your natural introvert skills of asking great questions and then listening, gathering Mm -hmm. all of that information, all of the information. Just ask those questions and then you know how you said we feel like we don't have that perfect comeback. You know when the perfect mm-hmm. comeback does come? It comes in the shower, right? Everybody yes. has them. <laughs> yep. Then you come back the next day and then you shoot your shot after you feel more confident. <laughs> and the one of the things that you can do, the simplest thing you can do to get more confident in these conversations is prepare. Just prepare yeah. thoroughly. And on our website, AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, people can get access to all of our free negotiation guides, salary negotiation, how to negotiate for a car, how to have difficult conversations about race, how to have difficult conversations about politics, and even mm. how to negotiate as an introvert, um, 10 plus free guides on the website. And awesome. so if you can take the time to prepare, you're going to be in a lot better position to get what you want out of the conversation. Love it. Love it. So cool. Okay, I've got a question for you about salary negotiation. I know that's a a big part of what you do, and we've talked about lots of other things today. But one last question for you. I saw a recent LinkedIn post, a blog post you wrote, about can you negotiate in 2020? And you keep saying negotiation is about information gathering. And I found that to be the most sort of aha moment that I had while reading that post you wrote. Tell me why we should be negotiating end of year raises or at least having the negotiation conversation in 2020, despite what a crazy year this has been. Yeah, because here's the thing. Negotiation, again, like you said, is about information. You want to learn as much as you can about the situation. Maybe Mm -hmm. there is money to be had. Maybe there's not. Well, then what can we get? One of the things I always tell people is that when you feel as though you've maximized everything that you can get uh, monetarily, that's when you shift to non-monetary goals in the Mm -hmm. negotiation. And so maybe in the pandemic, your company was hit hard. There were furloughs, people let go, uh, there's hiring freeze, whatever that situation is. Um, Then money might not be an option, Mm -hmm. but title might be. That might be an option. Mm -hmm. That still advances you career-wise. Another thing you could do is pre-negotiate where you say, okay, it sounds like right now, again, you see we're acknowledging emotions, acknowledging the situation. It sounds like right now we don't have the money to to give uh, to give me a raise, right? Okay, hypothetically, if we did, are you saying that I would be uh, eligible for a raise? Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So then again, if we were to get to a better financial position, then I could have a raise, <laughs> okay? You see what I'm saying? So what you're saying is it's only because of her financial position. Is that correct? Excuse me, leading the witness right there. But it's a great line of questioning to kind of pinpoint where you stand in your employer's eyes, right? 
I was doing an abridged version, but I would have a lot of softeners in there, you know, out of curiosity. <laughs> okay, help me to understand. Okay, just to make sure mm-hmm. I'm getting it right. So it sounds like, okay, mm-hmm. right? And so what you do after that is you you create a paper trail. Yeah. You send an email. You just say, hey, it was great chatting with you. I appreciate it. Uh, based on uh, my understanding, this is a summary. Let me know if you agree. Okay, fantastic. Great. And then four months down the road, when you look at your, uh, your company's stock prices and it's up, you say, ha ha, it's time right? to get like, paid. Just like you said four months ago, it was really just our financial situation that was standing in between me and my 20% raise. So mm-hmm. yes, I love it. What would you say to the person who's afraid of offending by asking for more this year? Because that's really the fear I hear from many women is I don't want to be seen as selfish or ungrateful. I know they're facing a dire financial position. And even if they they, you know, wordsmith the conversation so beautifully maybe their boss will feel offended for forever. Like what, how do you weigh that social penalty? Yeah, well, the question is, how legitimate is that social penalty? Yeah. I mean, have we seen that before? Again, let's use some internally focused, compassionate curiosity, right? Mm, So how mm -hmm. do you feel about it? I feel afraid that I'm going to offend people. Okay, why do you feel that way? Well, it's a tough financial situation. Okay, how do you know that they will feel that way? Have you ever seen them feel that way about anybody else? Well, no, actually, they have a good relationship with everybody. Okay. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> so, right? So you're going through that process internally. So that's the first thing I would say. We have to challenge our assumptions. Um, there's a difference between thoughts and truths, mm. you know? And so without thorough introspection, we might not understand the difference and we might take yeah. our thoughts and think it's real. That's the first thing. I mean, just to echo that too, many a therapist we've had on this podcast has said, about one's anxiety, that anxiety is just alerting you to potential danger, and then your job is to check the facts. Mm-hmm. Does this align with reality? So yes, plus one to that. The next one is, again, keep it simple, compassionate curiosity. If you think that's a concern, just say, listen, boss, I, I was, I'm going to be honest with you. I was afraid to have this conversation because I didn't want to offend you. I recognize mm-hmm. that the situation is tough. But at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm advocating for myself in this. And yeah. so I want to have a conversation with you about my future at the company. And so what you're doing is you're inviting them into the conversation. You're never going to ambush. Don't don't ambush people. Just say, I want to have a conversation about my future in the company. They know what that means. And then say, I understand that the, t- the situation is difficult. This is you acknowledging the context. I understand yeah. that we're in a difficult financial situation. And so I wanted to have a conversation about where you see my future being. So what are your thoughts? Mm. The, you, don't need to, you don't need to focus on creating this incredible um, high-level speech. No. What are your thoughts? Okay. Um, what do you think about my performance? All right. Mm. Now, mm-hmm. I, typically at this point, I would be due for a salary increase. And my hope is that I could potentially increase my salary considering my performance. I want to see how you think about this. Okay. Great. Well, mm-hmm. what flexibility do you have? That's one of my favorite negotiation questions. What flexibility do you have? Mm. Incredibly powerful. And I'll tell you, it's it's one of my favorite questions. And I think it's my most annoying question, too, for myself, because I mentor students who want yeah. to go to law school. And I tell them every time that they get their scholarship package, they come back to me. They're saying, Kwame, I'm so excited. They gave me 3000 5000 whatever amount of money mm-hmm. per year. I say, OK, great. This is what you're going to do. You're going to email that department and you're going to say, thank you for this. Finances are very important to me. What flexibility do you have in my scholarship package? 100% Mm. of the time they get more money. 
up to seven thousand yeah. dollars per year right. more. Yeah. So if you are ever in a negotiation, ever in a negotiation about money, ask what flexibility do you have? Because sometimes they'll come back and say, ah, it's really tough time. We don't have much flexibility. Put your negotiation ears on. They just said they have flexibility and now it's your job to find it. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. Do not be conditioned <laughs> into blind gratitude. Okay. Gratitude is fine, but do not be triggered into closing the book on that negotiation prematurely by just saying, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right? Like ask at least inquire. I think that's a really important lesson. And I wish, I am so glad you're doing the work that you're doing because more people need to hear this, especially women, because we have been told to be grateful for whatever we get and folks of color, Mm -hmm. right? So then we settle for whatever this fully unjust capitalist system will throw our way in terms of table scraps. And we're supposed to be grateful for that. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Kwame, where should our listeners go to keep up with all your great work? Yeah. So if you're interested in a workshop, reach out to us on at the AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com. Also check out our free negotiation guides on that website. You can check out my podcast, Negotiate Anything, and also our, our sister podcast, Ask With Confidence. Those are two great resources. And follow me on, on LinkedIn. As, as you know, I am constantly mm. posting on LinkedIn. My goal is to post something every day. And I just try to help as many people as we can through the content. So get in touch. Awesome, Kwame. Thank you so much. For more details and show notes about today's episode, head to bossedup.org slash episode 286. That's bossedup.org slash episode 286. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. Today's Boss Move comes in from a member of our Courage community and a beloved client of ours who's actually local here to Denver. Her name is Jenna. And she shared this great boss tip and boss move of the week around time management in a recent conversation in the Courage community. By the way, if you haven't joined the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook, make sure to join us now on the link in today's show notes. It's the best place to be. It's the only reason I'm still on Facebook. And it's just a delightful, supportive group of folks who lift as we climb. Here's what Jenna wrote, quote, I got really micro and found a way to more accurately estimate time for my project. As a result, I was able to create stopping points in a time of year when the work is just never done. I left work on time and guilt-free. Being able to disconnect is such an amazing feeling and such an amazing achievement in 2020 where it feels like work just blends into the rest of our lives more than ever. Congratulations, Jenna, and way to walk the walk, boss. I'm so proud of you. And I'm taking notes because this is something I need to work on myself. And I think a lot of us listening might be able to relate. So thanks for sharing your boss move. If you've got a boss move to share or a career conundrum you want me to break down on the podcast next, you can always email me at emily at bossedup.org or just call it in to the Bossed Up podcast hotline at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And if time management and slaying your goals is on your to-do list at the end of this year or just as we round the corner into a fresh start with 2021, Make sure to get your hands on our limited edition 2021 fan favorite life tracker planners. We've got three new cover designs that make great holiday gifts this year that make a great gift for yourself. And when we sell out, we sell out. So do not miss your chance to join 
such a great community of bossed up women who are goal getters, who also believe in work-life balance and thriving as we are striving. So if you want the research-backed method that we all pursue, that I pursue, get your hands on the Bossed Up Life Tracker right now at bossedup.org slash Life Tracker Planner. Thanks as always for listening, for rating, for reviewing, for sharing. I want to hear your thoughts on today's episode. What did you think? Tag me on social media at Emily Aries or at Boss.org to share your thoughts. I love connecting with y'all there. And in the meantime, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb.